it is my distinct pleasure now to welcome our speaker today. Come on up, Pat. Uh, this is Pat Stark. Some of you may know Pat. Uh, you may have met him before. I think the last time you said you preached here was like five years ago. Something like that. Something like that. Uh, Pat Stark is the Associate Superintendent for the Pacific Southwest Conference of our denomination. I want to say, you know, we are a part of a denomination called the Covenant. If you were wondering what the Covenant was in the Simi Covenant, that's our denominations. We're part of the Evangelical Covenant Church. And we are connected with other churches. It means there's a relationship between us and other churches. Yesterday, Pat offered a great seminar for us about having a culture of welcome. We had six representatives from our nearest, well, second nearest. Nueva Esperanza is the nearest other covenant church. Second nearest covenant church is uh, the Garden Church in Chatsworth, and they sent six people over. It was cool to get to meet a few other people and just to feel like, hey, this is part of our connection together and some of the resources that we get from our denomination. I appreciate that. So thank you, Pat. Uh, I'll let you introduce yourself and do whatever else you want to do. I, I think you just did that. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Kurt. Uh, super, super fun to be with you all uh, this morning. Uh, I bring you greetings from the rest of our conference staff, uh, Brian Murphy, our brand new superintendent. Uh, but I just, I love your church. Uh, I love Kurt. Uh, just so you know, uh, some years ago, I'm going to say 2019, midwinter, uh, we were in Denver, and uh, my boss at that time said, hey, I want you to meet with this guy named Kurt. Uh, he's a missionary, but I think he should be the next senior pastor at Simi, so I want you to go meet with him. And so I remember sitting across the table at the Hard Rock Cafe, meeting Kurt, going, I love this guy. And so I've never received a finder's fee for getting him <laughs> No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Oh, you did, you did. But I, I love Kurt, and I love that, the, 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 that Simi and Kurt... Uh, that you guys came together because I just, uh, I, have, I have great hope for uh, not only what you're doing right now, but for the future also. Um, I want to say hey to the people who are watching online. We see you. Glad you're there. I see the guy in the fuzzy slippers watching on his living room couch. Um, we're in this weird and strange world still where we're both uh, physical together and we're digital. And yesterday in our workshop, I called that fidgetal. It's a kind of a, a new word that our last two years have coined, but um, it's, a, it's a new reality, which has something to do with uh, what we're going to talk about today. Um, I, I do want to thank you also. So you may not know this, but some of your local church giving uh, goes to help support the conference uh, that you're a part of. That's 155 churches. Uh, in California, Arizona, Nevada, Utah, and Hawaii. So you're part of a, a regional family as well as a national family. But thank you for helping us to just uh, move forward in the mission that God has given us here. Um, you know, uh, in uh, uh, 2008, many years ago in the recession, uh, coming out of 2008, there were lots of businesses that died, and there were lots of businesses that were born. Um, you may know that uh, the Kodak Film Company had one unique mission, to share and preserve memories. Uh, Kodak believed that the only way to save memories was through printed pictures. Uh, there was a company that was born uh, shortly after that in 2010 called Instagram. Maybe you've heard of them. Uh, that said, no, we think people will actually want to share more and more their photos online and in digital format. Uh, two years after they started, Kodak closed their doors through bankruptcy. Can you guess who invented the digital camera? 
Kodak. Kodak did. You see, one organization saw opportunity and pursued it, Instagram. Uh, the other was stuck in their methods and they forgot their mission. So my question this morning is, will the church be more like Instagram as we begin to emerge more and more from our COVID cocoon, or will they be more like Kodak? Uh, today's message is entitled, Who's My Neighbor? And I'd love for you to pray with me. Holy God, we're so grateful for an opportunity to gather together. Uh, we don't take being together for granted anymore. Um, we thank you, God, that uh, people from all over the world can be with us in this room uh, as they watch online. Uh, we thank you for your word and what it brings to us. I pray, God, that you would open up our ears that we would hear, and God, that you would move me out of the way that your Holy Spirit might speak. In your son's name, amen. Uh, I want to draw your attention to a couple of comments from actual government leaders. They could be Simi, Covenant, or Simi uh, Valley leaders, or they could be from any random city across the country. From one city councilman, he said, As far as the city is concerned, there's not a noticeable difference in the way that Christians and non-Christians are neighbors. Uh, a mayor uh, said, the majority of the issues that our community is facing would be eliminated or drastically reduced if we could just figure out a way to become a community of great neighbors. Well, Jesus gave us a solution, uh, perhaps even a simple or even a genius solution. When Jesus was asked to reduce everything important to one command... He gave us a simple and powerful plan that if we acted upon it, it would literally change the world. What would communities, your community, what would communities look like if all the households that attend our churches made a commitment to loving their neighbors? The kingdom of God potential is unlimited, but, but how do we do this? Well, for starters, we need to move from being strangers to acquaintances and from acquaintances to significant relationships. And I think one of the ways that we do that and what we're going to spend most of our time talking about today is we must turn the noun neighbor into a verb, neighboring, as in the art of neighboring. There's actually a book by that title that I've drawn from some this morning by Dave Runyon and Jay Pathak. Um, that is called the art of neighboring. Being a good neighbor, you see, is an art form. A gospel-centered, Bible-focused art form. So we have to be committed to being great neighbors. I think the problem is that we've reduced uh, loving our neighbor to a, a bumper sticker, to, to a, a slogan we put on uh, t-shirts, and we can actually miss the part of, of putting it into practice, which truly is the whole point of Jesus saying this. So this morning, I want to encourage us to listen to what Jesus says so that we can then do what Jesus does. So if you have a Bible this morning uh, or a handheld device, either one, uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 10. Also, uh, the scriptures will be up on the screen for you. Uh, and we're going to start in verse 25. One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus, 
So, so the word here uh, in the original language is quite interesting. It, it means to test or to tempt. So the lawyer's question is not uh, academic. He is actually setting up this uncredentialed man from Galilee. He, he's trying to trap Jesus or trick him. So he says, he says one day uh, uh, the expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Here's the question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life. What should I do, teacher, to inherit eternal life? Now, when we hear eternal life, most of us think of what? We think of heaven, but, but in Jesus' day, that would not be the case. Uh, you see, eternal life is, is so much more than a destination. Uh, it, it's a way of living. To, to have eternal life in Jesus' understanding in his day is to live here and now as citizens and ambassadors of the kingdom of God. Yes, heaven someday. But just as important, Christ-likeness now. Therefore, eternal life is a, is a just and righteous way of living. What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? As Jesus makes clear in the story, when it comes to eternal life, what matters isn't exactly what one knows or believes. That's important, but it's what one does. It's what one does. Jesus replied, he says, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? In other words, he's saying, hey, hey, Bob, you're the religious expert. You tell me. And so he does. The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Like a good expert in the religious law, he is well trained. He knows his stuff. That is, he, he knew the Shema, the ancient Hebrew confession of faith that sums up the law succinctly. It's a combination of Deuteronomy 6.4 and Levitic, Leviticus 19.18. And the lawyer answers his own question. The way to eternal life is loving God and our neighbors. Or another way of saying this is we love God by loving our neighbors. Uh, author and journalist Dorothy Day puts a finer point and says, you love God as much as you love the least. So Jesus responds to the lawyer. He says, do this and you will live. Now see me? Don't miss this. This is the big E on the eye chart right here. Ready? It's not enough to know this. Jesus says, we have to do it. Now, the expert in the religious law could have just walked away. He got his question answered. He had his interaction with the rabbi Jesus, but he couldn't let it go. He had to ask one more question, didn't he? And he says to Jesus, the man wanting to justify his actions he says, and who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Who is your neighbor? Uh, I live in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, my wife and I actually met in Washington State. Uh, we grew up in, in the Seattle area. And uh, it was quite a shock to move from Seattle, 
where uh, when you lived in a housing community, there weren't a lot of fences to move to Phoenix where there's block walls everywhere. Uh, in, in Seattle, uh, if you, you know, wanted to chat with your neighbor, um, you, you would just walk out where you know, your, your lawns met uh, on, the, on the property line and uh, you know, with uh, your uh, cup of coffee in one hand and your umbrella uh, in the other hand um, in June, uh, you, you would have a conversation with your neighbor. I mean, it was just like, you know, there was, there was nothing blocking you from being able to interact with your neighbor. We moved to Phoenix, and this is what we experienced for the first time ever. There's block walls everywhere around every house. And so when we moved into the neighborhood, I knew I had neighbors. I mean, I, I could see their homes, and, and their, the cars would drive by, and the garage doors would go up, and the cars would go in, and the garage doors would come down. I knew I had neighbors. But, but I never got to, I was having trouble interacting with any of them. And so uh, I actually, you know, I'm a little extroverted. I need to be around people. And so I would, I would set up a lawn chair on my driveway and as cars would drive by, I'm like, hi, I'm, I'm your neighbor. <laughs> hey, I'm Pat. Hey, I, oh. you know, it, it, but it, nothing seemed to be working. And so I, I got a little more bold and, and, and uh, you know, this, this car, I saw it going by and I saw the garage door actually start to go up. So I kind of hustle over there and, 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 I'm, and I'm like waving at the guy and the car goes in. I'm like, hi, I'm Pat. I'm your neighbor. And the garage door starts coming down. I'd, I'd love to have you over for a cookout or something. Please, I need friends. <laughs> Who's your neighbor? Who is your neighbor? Now this question, you see, just might fly by us. But as we examine it, the lawyer is asking a limit-seeking question. You see, he's aiming to identify the non-neighbor, actually, the, the one beyond my moral obligation. The lawyer wants to know, who are the people I'm not expected to love like God. But Jesus takes the question and turns it on its head by using a questionable character as the hero of a parable he's about to tell. Jesus replies with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. Now, this parable, which you're probably familiar with, is the only parable in all the Gospels with a specific geographic location. Why? Because the road to Jericho was notoriously unsafe. It descended from the heights of Jerusalem for 17 miles via switchback curves, which were ideal for ambush. In other words, Jesus' audience probably would have had zero empathy for the man who was beaten, stripped, and robbed, and left for dead. Because he was a fool. Only a fool would do what this guy is doing. He got what was coming to him. Jesus tells a story banking on the audience's contempt for the robber's victim. Because by the end of the parable, he'll be seeking to replace that contempt with compassion. Verse 31. By chance, by chance, a priest, a senior pastor, if you will, 
a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant, the associate pastor, walked over and looked at him lying there, but also passed by on the other side. By the way, this story could have been entitled The Tale of Two Selfish Jerks also. You see, the, the, the priest and the Levi see the robber's victim, but pass by on the other side of the road. In other words, they create more distance between themselves and the man left for dead. These religious leaders who were charged with loving their neighbor were called to connect people with God's love, but they fail big time. Now, I don't know, maybe they were running late for a temple board meeting or thinking about their sermon prep or more concerned about remaining pure for the uh, religious uh, tasks they needed to perform. Whatever the case, nothing should come between showing concern for someone left for dead. I think these uh, two characters are examples of what indifference looks like. You see, whenever we think, that's not my problem, or I don't want to get involved, we're showing indifference, and we're acting like the priest and the Levite. Let's pick it up in verse 33. Then a despised Samaritan. Now, let me just take a little sidebar here. Now, you and I are used to hearing the term good Samaritan, right? Everyone knows that term if you've been around church or even if you haven't. We hear Good Samaritan and and in our minds the hero music begins to play, right? Uh, And and Clint Eastwood rides into town and and, and Superman arrives on the scene and our favorite quarterback enters the the game with with two minutes left to go on the clock and and the winning drive and, and this is what we think of. But Jesus' audience would have reacted just a little differently. When they hear despise Samaritan, they would have said, "Uh, Jesus, you don't need to say despise Samaritan. That's a double negative because every Samaritan is despised. They would not have thought any of the thoughts that we typically think of. To his largely Jewish audience, a Samaritan would have been the epitome of the anti-hero, an evil, vile, spiritual, and ethnic half-breed. That's what they would have thought. The last person you think Jesus would choose to be the hero, but he does. You see, neighborly actions matter. The Samaritan actions, and let's go back and see what those actions were. This despised Samaritan comes along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. The Samaritan's actions receive more detailed description, get this, than anyone else in the Gospels 
besides Jesus. This is an important story. We can't miss this. And I think it receives this detail because Jesus is describing what it means to be a neighbor. You want to know what it is? Here it is. To act with courage. The Samaritan went down into the ditch where he could have been ambushed as well. To act with compassion. This is what moves the Samaritan to offer assistance. To act with generosity. To use your own oil and wine to heal his wounds and then to offer payment for his recovery. Now Jesus turns the lawyer's question on its head. Now which of these, he says in verse 36, now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? And the man replies, the one who showed him mercy. He can't even say the word Samaritan. He can't say it was the Samaritan guy. He says the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus says, yes, now go and do the same. Here's my concern. Here's my concern, see me covenant. Is the story of the good Samaritan, is it so familiar to us that it leads us to a place of inaction? I I think this story can inoculate us against the implications of what this story means to us personally. Who's my neighbor? Why is the lawyer asking this? Why? Because he wanted to define the word in such a way that he would be found righteous. If his neighbor was someone he could choose, oh, wouldn't that be nice if we could just choose our neighbors, you know, all the lovely people, all the people that we really like to be around? If if he could choose, then he'd be okay. You see, he was trying to soften the demands of loving his neighbor. He was looking for loopholes. Um, Now, before we judge the lawyer, let's ask ourselves, do you ever look for loopholes in what Jesus is saying is the most important directive for us to live out? Do you ever look for loopholes? But Pat, you don't know my neighbor. I mean, he is loco. I mean, I just, I don't know if I could even have a conversation. You, know, you don't know my neighbor. I mean, she drives me crazy every time we talk. She's just jabber, jabber. Believe me, I, I've looked for loopholes. I've had, I've had numerous neighbor issues. But sometimes we have to consider what it is that Jesus is actually calling us to do. <clears throat> now, some of you may be thinking, you know, Pat, I'm pretty sure this scripture is to call us to love and be neighbors with our enemy. And you may have a point, but I think there's also, this, this is where we also can get into a little, um, a, a little lost when, when Jesus' directive to love our neighbor, uh, when we really think about it. Because I think that sometimes the longer that we're in church, the longer that we have been Christ followers, we hear this directive and we're like, yes, I know i got to love my neighbor. And I know what that means. It means that I've got to support missionaries in South America, and I've got to rescue traffic children, and I have to witness to 17 people before next Sunday. And I, have to, and the, and I just, it's so overwhelming. And all of those things are good 
and great, and kudos to you if you're doing them. But to me, that's, that's kind of like graduate level loving your neighbor. What if we just brought it down to high school diploma? Because that's, that's what Pat Stark needs. I need to just know what's the high school diploma level of loving your neighbor. So why don't we start here? What if we decided to love our actual neighbors? Think about them right now the people who live on either side of you, the people who live across the street from you. What if we just started there? Let's not get overwhelmed. Let's not get too complex. Let's just focus on that. Let's take Jesus literally when it comes to loving our neighbor. And I believe that the creator God of the universe is saying to us this morning, I want to intentionally use you in this particular neighborhood that you are at where you live. Because there's purpose and there's design for where I have placed you. God in his sovereignty has placed you exactly where he wants you to practice the art of neighboring. And I know this is true. You know how I know this is true? Do you know how I know? Because the Bible tells us this. It's in in Acts 17. This is Paul preaching on Mars Hill, describing Jesus who is God. He says, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, get this, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. This word habitation is the Greek word katakie, and it means dwelling, abode, house, apartment, condo, mikasa. It means where you live. God has appointed, no, no, I bought that house 20 years ago. God put you in that house. God put you in that condo. He decided, I want you as my missionary to love these neighbors where I put you. What if you're right where you're supposed to be? What if this church, let's just, you know what, we can't talk about every church in Simi Valley, but what if if this church, what if Simi Covenant decided to reach out and love their actual neighbors? What if we set a goal to say, I don't know, maybe get to know eight of the neighbors who were in closest proximity to us? What kind of relational and missional impact do you think might be achieved? Well, I did a little research, and I found out that uh, CIMI has uh, around 80 uh, households represented uh, here as a part of Simi Covenant Church. And, and so if, if that, uh, if we take, if I'm doing my math right, if we take 80 uh, Simi Covenant households times eight, that's an impact of 640 households. 640 households that just this church, just this church could have an impact on. What do you think might happen if you all decided to love your eight closest neighbors? Well, I, I, think, I think the outcome is just beyond what we could imagine. The kind of relational, the kind of missional impact we could have just by loving our neighbors like Jesus. So I, I don't want you to, to leave today uh, inspired. Uh, I don't want you to leave maybe uncomfortable um, or just curious. I want to actually do this. I want us to practice the art of neighboring with our actual neighbors and I want to do that right now. So in your, uh, in your bulletin this morning, you've got a little block map. And guess what? In the center, that's you. You are right in the center. And then these eight boxes around are your eight closest neighbors. And so what I want to do is I want to take about two minutes. 
And I want us to do three things. I, if you can, I want you to write the names, the names of your eight closest neighbors, each one in those boxes. This is inside your bulletin. Okay, so, so if you know a first name, great. If you know a last name, even better. So names of all your neighbors, if you can. And then, and, you know, if you can't remember name, well, it's that guy who's from Montana. I mean, whatever you got to do to remember who they are, put their eight, eight names. And then number two, anything you know about them. Yeah, I, I, this guy, um, you know, he works for Honeywell. Or uh, she's uh, got five kids. So anything you know about him, that's number two. And then number three, this is a little deeper dive. Anything in depth you know about him. Uh, went through a divorce last year. Um, uh, husband died of cancer. Uh, anything of depth you know about him. Okay, so we're going to actually do this right now in the service. I'm giving up sermon time for you to do this. And we're going to play a little neighbor music to inspire you. So go two minutes Names, if you can, something about them, and something of depth. Ready, go. So if you don't have a pen, ask for a pen. Eight names of your eight closest neighbors. Okay, I want to see everybody trying this. There might be a quiz. Okay, okay, we're going we're gonna to take a pause right now, but I want you to keep working on this. Hopefully this is something you put in your Bible, you put up on your refrigerator. But I, so this is a guilt-free zone. You ready? This is a guilt-free zone. How many people could name all eight of their closest neighbors? All right, all right, we got some hands, okay. Uh, how many got uh, six, at least six? Okay, how many got five? Four? Okay, more hands. Three? Okay, all right. How many people could name something about them? Something about them. Raise your hands. Good. Okay, and how about, how about something a, a little deeper about them? Like, like no one else? Okay, good, good, awesome. So, so here's the deal. Uh, typically, 10% of church people can do number one, can get all eight. Only 10%. Across America, 10% of church people can name all eight of their neighbors. Uh, 3% of church people can do number two, can get all eight and then something about them, and only 1% one, 1 can do uh, number three, something in depth. So I think we can do better, right? See me, I believe in you. I think we can do better than the average. And, and so here's what I want to do. I want to challenge you to learn one new name of a neighbor 
who is in close proximity. Just one. Just learn one new name of a neighbor who is near you. Okay, that's it. Just start, start there, get one name, and then the week after that, get another name, and then get to know who they are. Put this map somewhere where you can see it, where you'll be reminded to pray for your neighbors, to think about what's the next step, what can I do? And you know what? We've got, we've got some awesome opportunities right in front of us to get to know our neighbors. What is the one, let's call it a holiday, uh, in, during the year where it's the one time you see children and mostly families out in the streets of Simi. Halloween. Halloween, that, you know, wonderful holiday that most of us don't want to think is real, but it is real. And by the way, the devil does not own October 31st. Uh, we need to take it back and redeem it. Um, so here's an opportunity that you have. You could actually do this in the next couple of days. Halloween is still a ways out. You got a week. What if you invited the neighbors you knew? to a little gathering and say, hey, let's pool all our candy. Uh, we'll each bring some food and we'll just hang out and we'll give away our, our candy to our two trick-or-treaters. That's one easy, easy invite thing that you could do to get to know your neighbors because nobody does that. People are longing for community, but rare is the person that does that, and I think we as Christ followers should lead the way. There's lots of opportunities like that. You've got other holidays coming around the corner, Thanksgiving and Christmas. What if you threw a Christmas party? What if you did uh, a, a little tailgate for your local sports team and had people come over, bring food, you watch the game together? We can watch church online. You can ask people to come over to your house who aren't comfortable coming here and do a watch party from your house. You don't even have to do it on Sunday. You can do it whenever you want. There's so many opportunities we have to connect with our neighbors. So my hope is that you see me as a collective. You think and you brainstorm, how can we do this? Because those eight closest neighbors, every single one of them have an eternity waiting for them. And wouldn't it be amazing if because we decided to go out of our comfort zones and to learn first names and to learn something about our neighbors, to invite them over, to love them, to pray for them. What if just that simple act changed the eternities of the people who live in our community, in our city? Why do we do this? We do this to connect our story, our neighbor's story with our story, and ultimately with God's story. We do this because God left his neighborhood at great cost and bandaged up our wounds and our brokenness so that we could be healed. He showed us what it looks like to love your neighbor. Um, some years ago, uh, I was entertaining uh, another couple with my wife in our backyard, and uh, we had a vacant house next to us, but we knew some people were moving in. And out of the blue, we're out there having dinner. Um, this, this guy opened the front door of my home, walked through my home, came out the back door, and said, hey, how you doing? <laughs> I'm like, is this a robber? What's happening right now? I've never, this has never happened in my life. This was my new neighbor, Dave. And he introduced himself. Uh, he clearly was not from these parts, because this is not something you do uh, in, in Phoenix. And uh, that was my introduction to my somewhat cantankerous, somewhat loud, somewhat obnoxious neighbor. 
So, as I've said, I've had neighbor issues. This was one of them. Um, but as time went by, my wife actually encouraged me, hey, you know what? This is what you're always talking about, Pat, you know, loving your neighbor. I'm like, oh, man, I preached on that, didn't I? So now I've got to do it. So, so you know, we, we just slowly over time invited them over. We did the things that I've encouraged you to do this morning. We just connected with them. And this guy was the furthest person away from God that I had ever met. I mean, he had a mouth on him and he was dropping language and he just was the furthest thing that I thought would ever, ever want to follow Christ. And so I never once invited him to my church, to my shame. Until one day I get up to preach and there is Dave and his wife and his two kids staring at me with these funny faces on, just smiling like, surprise! He came to church on his own. And this was, you know, probably eight months from the time that we got to know him. And afterwards, I said, Dave, you're in church. He goes, yeah. You know why? I said, I'm afraid to ask. (laughs) And he says, I wanted to see if you were the same guy up front in this church as you were as the guy living next door to me. I wanted to see if this life that you've been living around me was the same thing on Sunday. And he came the next Sunday, and he came the next Sunday, and he came the next Sunday. And then he signed up for our men's retreat. Now, our men's retreat is pretty intense. I mean, it is like, you know, hardcore Jesus, like we are worshiping. And I mean, it is is a serious retreat. I'm like, Dave, do you know what you're doing? He goes, no, it sounds like fun, though, you know. And probably, I think it's day two in the retreat, um, the, uh, the speaker has what would be called an altar call today. And um, I noticed that uh, Dave is not with our group because Dave went down for the altar call. And as he came out of the chapel, he makes a beeline for me. And he just throws his arms around me and he says, you need to baptize me right now. Now, this was a camp in the winter uh, in the uh, hills up in Flagstaff, Arizona, where it was quite cold, and there were several options. There was a heated pool to baptize, there was a hot tub, uh, and there was a cold duck pond. Which one do you think he picked? I got to baptize him in the coldest water that I have ever experienced in my life, but it was the most beautiful, beautiful experience. And, and really, it was in spite of me, you know? I, I did not have the right attitude towards my neighbor when I started. God revealed some things to me in my own life that I needed to improve on, but you never know what is going to happen when you just love your neighbor. No matter who they are, no matter what they're like, you can't ever count God out. You never know how the Holy Spirit is going to move just because you decided to take a chance and love your actual neighbor. Holy God, we're so grateful that you um, left heaven to be our neighbor. We're so grateful that you showed us long before you called us to be a neighbor. You showed us what it was like. You showed us how to love. So God, I pray for us. I pray that uh, we would be thinking of our eight closest neighbors right now. We could see their faces. 
God, help us to take a step, just one step, towards knowing their name and knowing something about them so that we can love them. We, we can't love our neighbors if we don't know their names. So help us, God, to, to be intentional from this day forward. That our neighbors may someday know you, be a part of this wonderful church community, and in turn, love their neighbors. Pray all these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.